The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. When I was homeless, I used to hide out in the local library. That's when I started really having full access to a computer for the first time in my life. And I discovered the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and the Jack Dorseys and these people who are only a few years older than me. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this tech thing. This is going to get me out of Richmond. This is going to get me out of the situation that I'm in, which ultimately saved my life because I've been in tech almost ever since. Welcome to The Path. I'm Ryan Roslansky, the CEO of LinkedIn. And on this show, I talk with the world's top leaders about the decisions that shaped their unique careers and how these lessons can help you forge your own path. Today, my guest is Everett Taylor, the CEO of Kickstarter. Everett's journey is filled with remarkable triumphs, earning him a reputation for being one of the most innovative and influential marketers in the world. For years, he juggled two parallel paths. One is a serial entrepreneur and another is a corporate executive. Today, he serves as the CEO of the crowdfunding site, Kickstarter. Here's how Everett Taylor paved his path. We all know you as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as a visionary, but I want to go way, way back to a uh, young Everett and maybe the very first time you can ever remember thinking about what you might want to be when you grew up. Oh, man, I wanted to be so many things. I wanted to be a basketball player, was not good enough to go to the league. I remember wanting to be a rapper and my bars were pretty trash back then. You know, I had so many different things that I wanted to do um, with my life, but I was like always like a really big dreamer. And I knew there was more for me outside of my neighborhood and where I grew up. I grew up in Southside Richmond, Virginia. And so a lot of the things that I wanted to do were things that I felt like was going to get me out of Richmond, Virginia, even if they weren't realistic. When was the first time you ever had a job? The first job job that I had was illegal. Um, You know, a lot of the men in my family sold drugs, were involved in the streets and things like that. And so I started to go down that path. And it wasn't until my mom, you know, found out what I was doing and really forced me to get a job. And then she found this job with Eastern National for a junior marketing assistant, and she found it in a classified ads. And it introduced me to the world of marketing. That was my first job, doing marketing for books, bookstores and gift shops for Civil War parks and Black History Museums wow. in Virginia. Yeah, That's amazing. And at this time in your life, how did you think about school during those days? Uh, a necessary evil. Yeah. I was always a bit rebellious. I was uh, like always really good at school. I think I was like number two in my class up until the point that I was like, I was homeless my senior year of high school. So my grades dropped. I would always kind of question authority a little bit and like kind of structure. And I've always been the type of person that wanted to go this way when everyone went that way. For me, it felt like it was limiting me more than helping me in a you lot of ways. Both, my friend. Uh, <laughs> so you talked a little bit about being homeless your senior year. Yep. How did that impact how you were thinking about work, school, your career? It saved my life. It was like one of the worst moments anyone can go through in their lives. Um, but I think it really molded me into the person I am today for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think my strength 
as a marketer, as a businessman, as a leader is empathy. And there's no better lesson of empathy than not having anything, right? And so I love that at this point in my career, I've been at a point where I didn't have anything. And I've been at a point where I've had everything. And I think that's been really important for me in my career to see the full spectrum of, of life in that way. The second piece was that when I was homeless, I used to hide out in the local library because it did get cold in, in Virginia and Richmond. And um, that's when I started really having full access to a computer for the first time in my life in the library. And I discovered the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and the Jack Dorseys and these people who were only a few years older than me. Mark was like a teenager at Harvard creating these, you know, hundreds of million dollars of, you know, companies at the time. And it introduced me to the world of tech and saw that as a viable path for me, um, which ultimately saved my life because I've been in tech almost ever since. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this tech thing. This is what I'm going to do. This is going to get me out of Richmond. This is going to get me out of the situation that I'm in. And I was like, what tech schools are in Virginia? So I Googled tech schools in Virginia. It was like Virginia Tech. Yeah. And I was like, huh. <laughs> sounds like where I need to go. And so I would like hustle, wash windshields, play drums on buckets on the street, whatever, to get money. And I only applied to that one school and I got in. And that's something that like changed my life forever. And did you think that it was necessary to go to college uh, in order to do what you wanted to do? How was, what was your thought process around that? Well, I kind of was like, I mean, like Mark Zuckerberg was like, oh, well, he's in college and he's doing like tech and computer science and all of that. So to me at the time, it just seemed like the thing to do. And when you would talk to your high school counselors, I mean, they were really pushing community college on me. So like do two years of community college and then a four year university. But it was like, this is what you're supposed to do to be successful and, you know, be successful in your career. So I felt like that was the path. And I didn't really think there was an alternative path to doing something else. Everett ended up going to college, then a year later dropped out to support his mom financially. He got a minimum wage job at Joanne Fabrics, but he also decided to start a side hustle. In 2009, when social media was still brand new, Everett launched Easy Events, a company where he used social media to promote parties and sell pictures. It was the first in a long line of companies for Everett. This idea of starting your own company, what do you think gave you what most people would call audacity to think that you could actually do this? I think it was survival. When I look back on it, it wasn't like some genius or like something that I knew I was doing. It was just more of a, I'm working, I'm making minimum wage. I go and buy lunch and that's like, half of my pay for the day and I have gas. How how can I pay bills this way? I was making like $6 an hour or something like that at Joanne Fabrics. I see my mom and my sister and my grandma struggling. Like I have to do something. It was this feeling of like it could all be taken away. Yeah. You know, and I never wanted to be relying on a job. That's how I got, you know, we ended up being homeless in the first place. Yeah. I see my mom lose yeah. lose her job. I saw me lose my job. Like I've seen how that can just be taken away at any moment. Like I feel for all the people right now that are looking for work and being laid off, like that feeling of like one day everything's great and the next day what's next. And so for me, entrepreneurship provided me this kind of like safety net alongside or vice versa, right? Like the job 
provided the safety net for entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship provided the safety net for the job. But I always felt by having both, I felt more I felt more secure. I mean, it's looking at your path, it's it's kind of my main question was this parallel path is is really unique. By the way, it's a really great way to round out both having control over your career, but really picking up some new unique skills yep. from others that, you know, at larger companies. Uh, and my question had always been, was this like a, a, a thought out thing that you were doing along the way? And it sounds like to a certain extent it was. Everett kept running easy events, but he also gave school another shot. Then he dropped out again, this time because he sold easy events. And that's when he realized that he could make a name for himself in Silicon Valley. Everett jumped from startup to startup in his free time. And he also kept starting businesses of his own. Growthhackers.com, ET Enterprises, Millicent. It was all an exercise in marketing and entrepreneurship. And at just 25, all of this experience landed Everett a CMO job at Sticker Mule. I just couldn't turn it down. Right. And so I, I take the Sticker Mule opportunity. And Sticker Mule taught me a lot because one, it taught me that I wasn't really ready to be a CMO. Like that was a that was a big step, you know, for me. And I think one of the most important lessons in your career or on your path is being able to be real with yourself and understanding where you are. There's a difference between being a great marketer or a great, you know, whatever skill set you have and a great leader. And so I was only in that job for a year. Everett kept moving up. He got a contract with Microsoft China, which led to his next and most successful business, Pop Social. At the same time, he gets offered a CMO role at Skirt, a startup doing rental car delivery. So yet again, Everett introduces a new path, running Pop Social while serving as the CMO at Skirt. Until one day, Skirt gets acquired. When Skirt got acquired, it was like a really interesting time for me because one, you know, I had enough capital. I had Pop Social and Millicent's, uh, my two companies that were doing really well. Yeah. They were profitable. Obviously, we had the acquisition. And so it was this very interesting kind of couple years after that where I was I didn't take any job. I was purely entrepreneurial. I was living in LA. I was driving a nice car. I was living in this penthouse. Like I was like living life, but I wasn't growing. And, you know, there came a point in 2019 where Instagram, which started making some changes, which affected Pop Social's business. And I was like, man, I think I might have to go back to work. And I had started this company, ArtX, and I really got into art. And what I will say is, Sometimes everything aligns perfectly where you can actually work alongside your passion. And um, I got connected with Artsy during this time. Everett made his way to Artsy, the largest online marketplace for buying and selling fine art. As CMO, he noticed the lack of consumers of color, and he knew in order to attract diverse collectors to the platform, Artsy needed to bring in more artists of color. To do this, he worked very closely with the CEO to diversify the makeup of the community on both sides of supply and demand. And by working more closely with the CEO, Everett was able to absorb the skills it takes to run a large consumer-facing organization, strategy, financial management, and team management. By the time Everett left Artsy, he says 70% of the most successful artists there were people of color, and sales were better than ever. His work earned him recognition from Business Insider as one of the world's most innovative CMOs and from Forbes as one of the world's most influential CMOs. 
A lot of these companies that you join have a successful exit. And I've been doing this business for 25 years in the Valley. That's not always the case. It's actually, it's yeah. usually not, not, usually the case. not the case. I was trying to think what makes you so good at it. I'm curious if you talk a little about empathy early on in your life and, you know, being homeless and having to really understand empathy and people. Do you think that's the skill that has made you so successful kind of in this marketing path along the way that's helped a lot of these companies or is it something else? No, 1,010%. Yeah. I think being great at marketing, being great at product, being great at, you know, building for your users, your customers, et cetera, et cetera, it really all boils down to empathy, you know, really understanding and putting yourself in the shoes of your customers and your users and building the products and doing the marketing that's right for them. That has been my secret sauce. I, I tell people all the time, I just listen. Yeah. Like if you can listen and empathize, they'll show you the way. Yeah. Your customers, your users, the people, you listen to the people alongside of you as well. As a product person talking to you, it's just really fascinating to me. I always felt like the thing that I knew was was people. Yes. And I think that's the key to uh, to a lot of it. And it's just like me, like I'm just trying to tie that thread between why you've been successful. And it's, it's, it's pretty obvious to me, like that's what you're like genius at. I will say that it is a few things that I think is tied to my success is the ability to empathize yeah. with people yeah. um, and what that means in the business sense. Number two is risk-taking. Like I really took some major risks throughout my career, dropping out of college, moving to California, not taking certain jobs, doing things that people may have thought I was crazy for doing, but that, that willingness to take the risks and then I would also say just great timing. I got into art because I was speaking in Boston and I won a raffle, a raffle for art piece, which made me start collecting art two, you know, two years before I got the job at Artsy. Like you can't yeah. make this stuff up. My mom knew I was selling drugs and found this job in the classified ads for a marketing job for a 14 year old. And when I told them I was 14, cause they thought I was an adult, they actually gave me the opportunity to work before and after school and on weekends to do the job, which wasn't how it was set up. So there's just been like this incredible timing and opportunity. Speaking of incredible timing, let me tell you how Everett got on Kickstarter's radar. Kickstarter's only black board member, Casey Gerald, happened to read a Financial Times article featuring Everett and Casey invited Everett to interview for the CEO role. I was such a non-traditional candidate. You know, the, the candidates that I was competing against had already been in CEO seats of major companies and were a lot older than me. You know, I was, I was the high risk, high reward pick. Then I had to make a really hard decision. I knew that I wanted to be CEO of Artsy. I knew I had a great opportunity maybe one day of being the CEO of Artsy because of, you know, how valuable I've been to the company. I was the face of the company in a lot of ways, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I also had a really huge CMO opportunity and then the CEO opportunity at Kickstarter. And ultimately what it came down to was you got to go for it, man. You got to go for it. these type of opportunities to go to a brand that's a household name that is doing incredible things in the world. And I feel like really embodies who I am as a person. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm yeah. a creator. Yeah. 
Um, my whole life, you know, has been spent, you know, mentoring others, supporting others, helping others, investing in others. And so everything just felt right. And it was like, if not now, went. And, you know, I took the leap. What you're doing is helping millions of other people try and do what, what you have done. So I think it's a, it's a really good fit. I always say that you can only learn to uh, be a CEO by being a CEO. Yes. There's no training manual. How was that transition for you? No matter what I do, if I go outside and I get a burrito, I'm getting a burrito as the CEO of Kickstarter. And like, there could be anybody who knows who I am. If I, you know, do the wrong thing here, or the wrong thing there, like you have to be on constantly. I think that is a feeling that I've never quite felt yeah. before in that way. And it's heavy. You know that feeling. 100%, yeah. Even when you're trying to do all of the right things and make all of the right decisions and do what's best for people, everyone's not going to always love you. They're not going to love every decision you make and things like that. And you just got to keep pushing through. There's going to be a lot of hard days. There's going to be a lot of times where it's like, man, like this is a lot to deal with and be responsible for. But I mean, it's so rewarding. The work is so rewarding. And to be able to see your vision come to life, to be able to see people fully develop into themselves, to see people win and, and get promoted and grow in their careers and all of that, and just see that across a whole company. And then to see the decisions that you make and the positive changes that come from it, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. If someone comes up to you and says, Everett, what's your best piece of career advice? What do you tell them? I always usually do this like Tupac quote, that's like all good things come to those who stay true about like continuing to be like authentic in your yeah. life and all this. But let's let's do something different. The one piece of advice that I would give is that your work isn't everything. Be more than your work. One of the things that I hate is the first thing I, when I meet people, a lot of times they ask me, what do you do? I'm like, I'm more than that. I'm more than my work. And I spent so much of my career missing birthdays, missing time with family, not being there for friends the way that I should have, not being loved or loving others the way that I should have. Um, and there's this, this feeling that we just have to continue to like, we gotta get that new title, we gotta get that raise, we gotta do this, we gotta do that, you gotta work hard, the grind culture, all of those things. And man, it's like, I have the most balance I've ever had in my life and I'm a CEO. I'm so in love with my life right now because I'm spending the time with my family, my friends. I'm doing the things that I love, exploring hobbies. I'm doing all of that. And I'm actually a better executive for it. It's crazy. It's, I've learned to work smarter, not harder. And I've learned that sacrificing all those things and not being great mentally, emotionally, and physically actually hurts you in your performance. We have a four-day work week at Kickstarter. I push people to still be entrepreneurial. I push people to spend more time with their kids, to, you know, chase hobbies and do all these different things because, man, life is so short. You can be here one day and gone tomorrow. It's so important to, to be more than your work. If there's one thing that stays with me from this conversation, it's the power of empathy and determination. Everett didn't have a traditional marketing background, but he understood people. So he chose to start companies that used his superpower of empathy, eventually earning him a reputation for being a thoughtful and innovative marketer. 
But here's the other thing about Everett's path. Even though he was determined to be successful, he recognized that for him, entrepreneurship could not be the only way forward. It was too risky. So for most of his career, he combined corporate life and entrepreneurship. Those two things complemented each other and helped him grow exponentially. I also started my career as an entrepreneur. You learn so much about starting something from scratch, building relationships, and being responsible for the well-being of your team. Like Everett, I've carried those skills throughout the rest of my career. But how do you become an entrepreneur and create opportunities for yourself? And more importantly, how can you do it in a way that's right for you, the right amount of risk and the right work-life balance? We'll get into that after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Welcome back to The Path. Before the break, we heard how Everett Taylor earned a reputation as one of the most innovative marketers in the world, running his own businesses, also while serving as the CMO of other companies, all before becoming the CEO of Kickstarter. But over time, he's also learned the value of having a work-life balance. And it's not just that life is more than work. Everett says his time away from work actually is what makes him better as an executive. So I've asked Dory Clark to join us with some tips on how to make the best use of your time and optimize for creativity and entrepreneurship. Dory is a communication coach and a business consultant, and she's the author of five books, including Entrepreneurial You. Here's Dory on Everett's advice to be more than just your work. I was struck that Everett brought up work-life balance specifically. And in fact, that that was his key piece of advice to other people. He really seems to believe that actually it becomes a competitive advantage for the company to have employees who are more well-rounded and have cultivated other interests and other facets of their identity. We often lionize culturally people who put in long hours and in fact, we, we brag about it. Oh, I work 60 hours. I work 70 hours. But the great central irony here is that after about hour 50, 
our productivity sharply declines. We often uh, somehow assume that working longer hours and you know banging our head against a desk, that that's the way that we'll come up with more ideas, better ideas. It turns out it really doesn't work that way. In fact, research into innovation and creativity, uh, notably by the Dutch researcher Op Dijksterhuis, has shown that one of the best ways to have flashes of creative insight is not, you know, to sit there for 10 hours saying, I need an idea, I need an idea. It's actually to distract yourself just enough. This is why so often flashes of insight come to us when we are driving, when we're in the shower, when we're exercising, when we're taking a walk. It's because we are performing rote motor functions. These are things that distract your brain just a little bit, but most of our brain is free to roam and to have creative associations. And that, the, the act of having those creative associations, is what enables us to have those better, more innovative ideas. So if we think that, that grinding and more work and sort of plowing through when we're already exhausted is the ticket, it's, it's not. It actually is getting us further from the goal. What we need is to be effective over time, not effective in terms of staying up for 72 consecutive hours and then collapsing. Being successful as a, a professional is about the small things that you do repeatedly over a long period of time, not massive, unsustainable bursts of energy. Like Everett says, work smarter, not harder. Create some white space in your calendar and use it to think strategically about what's coming up. Can that meeting be an email? Could you take that hour to work on a slow burn but high impact project? Creating the conditions for strategic thinking and reflection is essential, especially for entrepreneurs. In my book, Entrepreneurial You, I talk about some of the important building blocks of creating an entrepreneurial business or a side hustle. Probably the most important concept is what is known in the entrepreneurial world as product market fit. And basically what this means is what are you selling and who are you selling it to? And do those things align? Are you selling the right thing to the right people? If you can figure that out, that is more than half the battle. That is an incredibly large part of the battle. And it can actually take quite a while, though, because you might really think that you know the answer to it, but oftentimes customer preferences might surprise you. And so it's useful in the early days to hold things lightly, to treat everything as a test or a hypothesis. In fact, one of the things that I often suggest if someone is starting an entrepreneurial side venture is to see initially if people are even willing to accept what you're doing for free. And then and only then should you move on to the next step, which is having those people, those initial folks who said yes, refer you to their friends, their colleagues who can actually pay you perhaps initially a small amount of money, but pay you real money to do that thing. And then once you've determined that people are willing to pay you money for it, then you realize, okay, I've got product market fit. Now I can work on optimizing it. Entrepreneurship, it is a little bit about taking risks, but it's not a lot about taking risks. 
there is a common cultural misconception that being an entrepreneur means that you are taking a leap off a cliff, that you are risking everything. And the truth is that is often really terrible advice, especially for people who have obligations and commitments and responsibilities to other people or to financial institutions whom they owe. Instead, a far smarter pathway is to look for ideas, look for possibilities, explore them, but try to do it with the smallest possible bet. In the world of entrepreneurship, there's a concept known as the minimum viable product. And basically what it means is what is the smallest way that we can test and verify demand before we go all in? Don't immediately quit your job and jump into something when the premise is not tested and validated. You don't need to buy into these, you know, all or nothing myths. Anyone can be an entrepreneur. You can be an entrepreneur and be entrepreneurial in a measured and thoughtful way, and that makes it far more sustainable. So here's my takeaway. Find the right work-life balance for you and create space for reflection and creativity. It's essential for coming up with good ideas. And if you're interested in something like entrepreneurship, do it, but be smart about it. Like Everett, at the beginning of his journey, sometimes you're not in the right place in life to take a big leap. That doesn't mean you can't start. It's important advice for everybody, even if you're not trying to start a business. Do you want to learn a new skill or move to a different industry? You don't have to quit your job or go into debt. Take online courses, jump on LinkedIn Learning, or dip your toe into a new industry by freelancing. Baby steps. And at the end, you'll have experiences that can become the building blocks for your own path. Follow the path for more episodes weekly and join the conversation about each episode on linkedin.com slash the path. The Path is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Ava Adnabegi, Stephen Valdivia, and Rachel Wong. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop, and Dan Roth is our editor-in-chief. Thanks to Tatiana de Almeida, Caroline Gaffney, and Valerie Berry. And a big thank you to Dory Clark. If you want to learn more of her strategies, download the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment for free at doryclark.com slash thelonggame.